Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up later in the program, it's called the Cobb Second Chance Desk. And the goal is to help Cobb County residents restrict or seal eligible criminal records. We'll hear how it all works. Also, fighting Georgia's voting law through the courts. Voter rights groups versus Republican-backed efforts. So far, eight lawsuits have been filed. And we'll hear from one of the organizations, the New Georgia Voter Project. Those conversations all coming up on today's program. But first, this, speaking of elections, some voters in Cobb County are headed to the polls today for a state house runoff election. State House District 34 includes parts of Kennesaw and Marietta. And the seat is vacant after Republican State Representative Burt Reeves resigned earlier this year. Now, voters will decide between Republican Ambulance Company Executive Devon Seaball and Democratic artist and educator Priscilla Smith. Oh, and speaking of politics, yes, add another Republican candidate for Georgia's 6th Congressional District. In his first video campaign ad, attorney and former chairman of the State Ethics Commission, Jake Evans, is doing some off-road driving and appealing to Trump loyalists. Just like President Trump and former Congressman Newt Gingrich, I'll blaze a trail with bold conservative values and big ideas that gets us back on the right track. Now, Evans brings the total number of Republicans to enter the 6th District race to three, all looking for the nomination to unseat current Congresswoman Democrat Lucy McBath. And finally, Cable Sports Network ESPN handed the Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year Award to our own Atlanta Dream. The honor coming Monday during the 7th Annual Sports Humanitarian Awards. According to ESPN, the award represents, quote, a sports team that demonstrates how teamwork can create a measurable impact on a community or cause. And also, Arthur Blank was named the 2021 Sports Philanthropist of the Year, an honor for, quote, creating measurable social change through sports by using a comprehensive philanthropic funding strategy. Congratulations to all. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. When it comes to implementing measures within the justice reform movement, you'll hear a lot about initiatives from policing to rehabilitation programs. It also includes programs to either expunge or seal certain past offenses that might hinder someone's ability to be hired for a certain job, even a military career, and even educational opportunities. Well, here in our area, there's something new. It's called the Cobb Second Chance Desk. The goal, according to officials, is to help Cobb County residents restrict or seal eligible criminal records. But there's also more to this as well. And joining me now is Brenda Smeaton. She's a legal director at the Georgia Justice Project and Cobb County District Attorney Flynn Brody. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Rose. Before we get into this second chance desk, I do want to get your thoughts on when we have all these conversations about justice reform and the justice reform movement, some people like to say criminal justice reform, and you can have arguments about whether or not you should use that phrasing. But I want to, through your lens, I want to talk about what's often missing when we talk about justice reform. Attorney Smeaton, I'll start with you. What are we not talking enough about, do you think? Well, I think one of the things that we don't talk about is the lasting impact that the justice system can have on somebody's life. And a lot of the media attention gets focused on very serious cases and violent cases, but even just a minor interaction with law enforcement um, and even something that happened a long time ago can impact your life forever. Um, Even misdemeanor offenses, um, things that we wouldn't think would be a big deal. Um, You know, a lot of people talk about re-entry and the way we look at it is you start re-entering from the moment that you have an interaction with law enforcement because it is going to have an impact on your life. And we've gone so far with sort of over criminalizing a lot of behavior and charging folks over the last 30, 40 years that we've saddled a tremendous number of people with this background, 4.3 million people in Georgia. So a lot of our family members and neighbors have what's in essence a a life sentence from Mm -hmm. those interactions. You said 4.3 million Georgians? That's correct. Mm. D.A. Brody, what about you? And someone listening may say, well, it might be kind of odd to ask the district attorney this, but you are, look, your office, your department is part of this when we talk about uh, justice reform. What are some of the conversations we're not having enough of here? I, I think sometimes we forget the purpose of the criminal justice system. It's to make our community safe. And we have done so many things in the past that have hampered people from being able to have productive lives, that we force them into criminal behavior because they have no other way to survive. And and this expungement desk or record restriction desk is, is basically a new tool that we can use to right some of those wrongs, to give people an opportunity to get back on track for what they should be doing, that is being a productive citizen. And too many of us forget That's our goal is to make sure we get people back into the system, rehabilitated into our communities and being productive in order to keep them away from crime. And we're going to get into that more in just a second. But D.A. Brody, I want to stay with you for a moment because you're newly elected in Cobb County. One of your campaign promises was to, quote, save taxpayer money and help, as you put it, offenders return to society as productive citizens. 
are you also pledging that you want to bring in more programs, whether it's not whether it's with the Second Chance Help Desk or other programs you want to bring in to 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 keep this promise that you made to voters? That, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're increasing our accountability course. We're increasing our diversion programs with the sole goal of bringing people back to the community as productive citizens. Because in the past, we have seen that the criminal justice system, when we let people out of jail, we don't provide them the tools and the resources to be productive. They have no option but to recidivate. And and traditionally, the recidivism rate has been 60 to 70%. With diversion programs, accounting court programs, um, programs that provide counseling, we can reduce that to 10%. And, and ultimately, the goal then is, is, is public safety, making our community safer than ever before. Former Georgia Governor Nathan Deal, this was a priority for him now, depending on whom you ask in terms of the motive, because research will tell you that Georgia has spent a lot of money in its correctional programs, if you will, from from you know, detention centers to prisons, what have you. And Governor Dill did receive a lot of credit for turning that around. Through your lens, though, and I'll, I'll stay with you again, uh, Jay Brody, Georgia as a whole, has it gotten a lot better in terms of its overall, and for this conversation we'll use the phrasing, criminal justice reform? You know, I, I applaud Nathan Deal for, for the criminal justice reforms that he put in place. I applaud the current um, representatives in, in the Georgia Dome you know, for Senate Bill 288 and, and opening up an opportunity for us to have the record restriction desk, um, there still has there's still a lot more to do. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things President Biden said that, you know, he wanted to make sure that for those with mental health and substance abuse issues, that we get them the treatment instead of putting them in jail. And, and I think that's critical that we focus as, as, a, as a state on that same thing, because that's how we reduce recidivism. That's how we make our communities safer. And, and this is a nonpartisan issue. This, mm-hmm. is, this should not be something that, you know, it's a Democrat thing or a Republican thing. This, this is a community thing that we need to do to make, make our community stronger. So, yeah, I, I applaud the, the reforms that have been made, but we still have a long way to go. Attorney Smeaton, you heard D.A. Brody say that, yes, there's some praise to be handed out, but there's still a long way to go. Through your lens, how far has Georgia come? Georgia has come a long way. Um, you know, continue. I think Governor Kemp has continued some positive reforms, including signing SB 288. We also got a major probation reform bill passed this session, SB 105. That's going to allow a lot of people to terminate their probation early. So I think there has been some support for further common sense reform. I definitely think, particularly on the you know the policing side and the front end side, we've got a long way to go, and we need to be able to have conversations that are calm and really looking at uh, causes and possible solutions, and not allowing those conversations to become too politicized, which I think is always a danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do think some positive developments are happening. And Attorney Smeaton, for our listeners not familiar with the Georgia Justice Project, what's your mission over there? Yeah, so we we like to say we're a nonprofit law office. We like to say we're holistic, systemic, and optimistic. We offer a wide range of legal services for people that are currently or formerly involved in the criminal justice system. Um, And we offer holistic legal support, meaning we have attorneys and social workers on staff who try to address whatever issues a person may have going on. We work to change the law, change the system, 
and then we're optimistic. We believe that everybody should be able to reach their their potential, and we work, you know, both through direct service and policy to try to remove those barriers to that potential. Well, let's talk about the second chance desk. You all cite this as a first in Georgia. How did all this come about? You know what? It, it took a lot of work, a lot of cooperation. Um, the effort put in by the Georgia Justice Project, our Superior Court judges, our Solicitor General's office, our Circuit Defender, our County Clerk's office. Uh, it took a lot of work to really mold this into what it is right now. And and I, and I have to say this, you know, when we opened up the website for it, the very first hour, we had booked up four months worth of appointments. Mm. And, and, and within a week, we had over 4,000 hits to the website for people interested in, in finding out how they could, um, how, the self, how the help desk could help them. Um, so the, the need is, is so important, and not just here in Cobb County, but throughout Georgia, period. Um, and, and that's why I applaud Brenda and, and the work that they do. Um, even before I got elected, I had visited their office and, and, and picked up their book um, on how to do record restrictions and, and pardons and all that stuff. So, so they they are the ones carrying the ball here and, and and doing all the hard work, and we're just glad to be able to cooperate with them in this effort to make our community safe. The voice you hear is Cobb County District Attorney Flynn Brody. I'm also joined by Brenda Smeaton, Legal Director at the Georgia Justice Project, and we're talking about Cobb County's second chance desk. So let's take our listeners how all this will work. Um, first, is this for adults, juveniles, both? This is for folks that have an adult um, criminal history in Cobb County. Um, so, you know, sometimes folks may have things in other counties and, you know, there's other ways that they can seek help. They can apply directly to our office or hire an attorney. But what we're trying to resolve through the desk and what we're able to resolve are people that have been arrested and had their case resolved in Superior State or Magistrate Court in Cobb County. Well, Brenda, you or, or D.A. Brody could take our listeners through this. What type of, of offenses would meet the criteria to even begin the process here? So I'm happy to, to start. You know, we have to we have to follow the law. Mm-hmm. And for Georgia Justice Project, you know, our desire to do this, which is something we've been thinking about for a number of years, it's really wrapped up in the, the change in the law that happened recently. Mm-hmm. Because up until SB 288 passed last year, it was primarily non-convictions that you could get off of your record and a small category of misdemeanors that happened before somebody was 21. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get rid of that age limit. So now people can get many more misdemeanors off their record. There are exceptions. And if they get a pardon, they can get a felony conviction off of their record as well, potentially, and get that sealed. So when someone comes in, we're looking to see, do you fall in the criteria of the law? It isn't about, you know, are, are you a good person mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what have you done with your life? First thing we have to look at is, do you even meet the criteria in the law? So to be clear, we're talking about you look at the offense, but... It- and for folks to understand, when we say offense, that may not necessarily mean a conviction. Am I right? Or does it mean a conviction? I, I think there's there's two um, two terms to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first one um, that Miss Meaton said is that if there's if you were not convicted, um, being able to get that restricted and, and, and sealed, and then with the new law with Senate Bill 288, it allows for two misdemeanors that are at least four years old and no in-between convictions to be restricted from your record. Um, so it, 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 you have two, two, two ways to make that happen. 
And when we talk about sealing and expunging, are you are you because you know, people should know that there's a difference here. We're talking about restricting, and and you all are also talking about sealing and expunging. So explain what all that means for our listeners who may be a little confused. Yeah. So expungement is the word that most folks know is how you clear your record, mm-hmm. and a lot of states use that word. Georgia's law doesn't actually use that word. They took it out in 2012 when we did a major rewrite of the law. And so we have a two-step process called restriction and sealing. The first part, restriction, you get it. So if somebody looks at your official criminal history, it's called your GCIC report. They're Mm -hmm. maintained by the GBI. So they can't see it there. And then the second part of that process is actually sealing the clerk's file because that's where private background check companies get their information from. And that's what you're gonna encounter most of the time when you're out there looking for a job. So together, those two steps kind of make up what most states call expungement, but records are not destroyed here. And DA Brewer, you said when you all first opened this up, you had how many hits, how many folks? Well, the first hour, uh, we had 140 appointments in the first hour. And within the first week, we had over 4,000 hits on the website requesting information, trying to set appointments. We literally had to shut down um, the website because the numbers were so hard. Hmm. Let me ask you this, D.A. Brody, what information do you want to get out to for folks to understand that in terms of the process? You know, folks may think, oh, you know, I'm I'm getting on the help desk and then it's going to take, what, a couple of days? (laughs) What do you want folks to know about the process? Unfortunately, we don't have the resources to man it every single day. Um, Georgia Justice Project does it every Friday. Um, But there are other alternatives. You know, you can go down to the Georgia Justice Project office, and I think it's in Midtown. Mm -hmm. Um, You can um, can hire an attorney to to seek um, how, how to get it done. Or you can request a book from Georgia Justice Project and do it on your own. There are so many other avenues in which to do it, but with this help desk, what it does is for those who may not have the financial means to to get their uh, criminal history, may not have the financial means to hire an attorney, have an opportunity to come and and, and seek the advice from Georgia Justice Project to be able to get this done. So yes, um, unfortunately, we don't have the resources to to provide for the large numbers that this is needed for, uh, but it is a small step in, in, in what we hopefully will become a bigger picture. Well, let me ask you all this. How long do you anticipate the process could take for an individual to see from start to finish? Well, the goal is, and the reason that we you know, wanted to start this desk and that we're hoping to expand this to other counties as well, is that we're trying to accomplish as much as we can on the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody can come to us and apply for services and we see if we've got the resources to take them on as a client. It might take a couple weeks or months to resolve their case. Um, what we don't want to happen in this is just for us to take on more clients. Mm-hmm. So that's why the partnership is so key, having the DA, having the solicitor, having the clerks and everyone on board. So our what's happened so far, we've done this three weeks so far, Everybody that's come in that had something they were eligible for, we filled out the paperwork on the spot. Mm -hmm. We took it over to the DA's office at the end of the day or the solicitor's office at the end of the day. And then they are reviewing it to see if they're, you know, they're going to sign off on it. So the goal is that it is kind of a 
you know, most of the work happens in that one day hmm. and we're not stretching it out to months. And the way it's really through these partnerships and through the buy-in of, you know, District Attorney Brody and, and the other offices that we're able to kind of streamline this process. Attorney Smeaton, those who are eligible and they are able to use this resource to help them, and you all call it the second chance desk, what does this mean for those individuals? Well, you know, of course, we we represent hundreds of folks a year with their criminal record, and it, it means different things to, to a lot of people. A lot of people are focused on employment. They want to be able to get a job, or they want to be able to get a job that's not a a low level entry level job minimum wage they want to be able to get a better job they want to be able to advance in their career um, often for older folks we find that housing is the major issue that they can't get into housing because of their record sometimes for things that happen 30, 40 years ago. Mm. And a lot of times it's just about dignity. You know, I, I had one of the first people that I met with on the first day of the desk was a woman who was in her 70s who had two um, two DUIs dismissed in the 1970s. And she's like, that's not who I am. Uh, you know, I, I'm embarrassed by it. I, I just want this off my record. Um, so a lot of times it, it's just about that. Hmm. Dave Brody, care to add anything to that? Yeah, it's just a simple uh, restoring people back to who they are, you know, giving them an opportunity to, to move forward in their lives without this hanging over their head. Um, just like Attorney Smeaton said, you know, lots of times it affects their housing, it affects their job, it affects everything that they can do. You know, it, it limits the, the, their occupation. There's so many things that a criminal history does to a person that many people don't realize. And, mm -hmm. and when you can re restrict these records or, 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 or seal these records and, and give them that free opportunity to seek advancement, it, it does wonders for everyone. D.A. Brody or, or Attorney Smeaton, either one of y'all can tackle this, you know, as being good stewards of money <laughs> that you all are. How much is this costing and, and will you be able to continue this? Well, so far we've, you know, at Georgia Justice Project, we've committed to doing this for at least a year and hopefully we'll continue to get funding beyond that. We've had some generous support of a couple of foundations who want to support this work, want to make sure that SB 288 is implemented and people can get access to um, to, to record clearing, you know, after we pass the law. And I think, you know, it's harder to see those bigger community expenses and the, the overall impact on the economy. But, you know, there's studies out there that show that as a nation, we are losing um, billions and billions of dollars in GDP a year due to unemployment and underemployment of folks who are just pushed out of the economy or pushed mm -hmm. into a lower wage job. So I think the the impact, the financial impact on the community will be far greater than what the expenses are. DA Brody, funding, and, you have some concerns? From my point of view, I don't really have any concerns because the, the hard labor in this part is the Georgia Justice Project, what Brenda and them are doing. We, the, the part that we do, we're obligated to do anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but what they're, they're, they're facilitating um, for the individuals involved a faster process, which for me, it goes, goes on to make our community safer because now we can make more productive citizens. So the, the cost on our end is, is minimal. 
Um, basically, there's there's a space that Georgia Justice Project occupies on that Friday. We provide some computer support, but everything else we're already obligated to do. You know, so it, it's not costing the county any additional money. So this this is a big win for Cobb County. All right. Cobb County District Attorney Flynn Brody and also Brenda Smeaton, legal director at the Georgia Justice Project. And we've been talking about the second chance desk out in Cobb County. And I know folks have a lot of questions because they're already sending me emails. So I'm just going to forward those to y'all. But for more information, they can go to Cobb County. <laughs> I love our listeners. I, I feel I feel great that they think of us as a resource, but I can't answer any of these questions. But we will forward those to you all. <laughs> Thank you both for taking the time. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. highlighting this and, and letting people know that our goal is to help them and, and restore them back to the community. And, and, and for elected leaders, that's what you should be trying to do. Hold us accountable for what we should be doing. Make us help this community be as best we can do. All right. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. A week ago, federal judge denied a request brought through a lawsuit from the Georgia-based voting rights group Coalition for Good Governance. You may recall we've had Executive Director Marilyn Marks on the program a few times. Now, that lawsuit focused on new absentee voting provisions, the takeover provisions oversight, and changes to the absentee ballot application period. The ruling was the first from the courts regarding Georgia's new voting law. In his ruling, federal judge J.P. Boulay wrote, quote, we are at the juncture where all of the challenge provisions are already the law. The judge went on to say, quote, therefore, an injunction would not merely preserve the status quo. Rather, it would change the law in the ninth inning, close quote. Well, as of our time, and we've been counting, eight lawsuits have been filed challenging the state's added voting provisions into law, stemming from the initial Senate Bill 202. Well, joining me now is the CEO from one of the organizations, Insay Ufot, of the New Georgia Project and its affiliate, New Georgia Project Action Fund. Welcome back to the program. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Scott. Rose. Let's begin Rose. here. Yeah, just call me Rose. <laughs> Let's begin here. And that's with the latest ruling from the nation's high court regarding those Arizona laws and citing that those measures did not violate any any voter rights. Uh, your just overall reaction to that. Um, my overall reaction is essentially that we have never been able to rely on the courts to bring about justice, that the deficiencies in the Voting Rights Act as it relates to racial discrimination um, as it relates to a history of voter suppression, um, that those provisions have continuously been weakened. And I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, Mm -hmm. but not surprised with the court's ruling. And I'm even more convinced that we have to get the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights uh, Advancement Act passed and the For the People Act passed. Like, we're done. It's, It's time. Well, let's, let's stay with that federal measure then that you just mentioned, because given 
what's happening in Congress right now. And let's be really clear, uh, harmony is is a word that folks are having some issues with. Um, how optimistic are you that that will get passed? We've we've heard from some Republican leaders who are adamant that more than likely that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, it has to happen. I, you know, I understand that this current version of the Republican Party um, is not has decided that they're going to band together uh, and not challenge the worst elements of their party. Um, the folks who are pushing for these anti-voting bills, these voter suppression bills, these voter nullification bills, that the leaders lack the courage to call out these bad actors within their party and they don't have the majority. And so what my focus is on this moment is instead of trying to scour the to the ends of the earth to find one Republican patriot, um, how about we organize within the majority party, the party, the Democratic Party, um, to make sure that they can hold their caucus together and get this done for the American people and in defense of our democracy. And say, as you know, the Supreme Court makeup is a different makeup. It is a super uh, heavy conservative here. But in, through your lens, does this recent Supreme Court ruling, does that signal potentially that it will be a difficult role for Democrats and, and those that are with the other lawsuits that this is going to be difficult um, to try to get these measures ruled in your favor? 100 um, percent. I think that, A, um, they have demonstrated that, you know, they are not immune uh, to the influence of partisan politics um, in the ways that they would like for us to believe that they are, um, number one. And number two, again, for me and for folks who are similarly situated, the folks who think about this deeply, literally every day, the voting and democracy nerds of the world, that there is, it's even more clear now that we're talking about almost 400 anti-voting bills in 47 out of our 50 states. A Supreme Court that not only kicked the teeth out of the Voting Rights Act when it dismantled Section 5 in 2013, but essentially they're trying to, Section 2, which is the racial discrimination provision, is on life support. And so soon the Voting Rights Act of 1965 will not be worth the paper that is written on. It'll be the Swiss cheese version of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And so we have to get a federal standard for elections to stamp out this nonsense that we're seeing in 47 states, because otherwise we're playing whack-a-mole in the state legislatures and we're going back and forth with the Supreme Court when they've already demonstrated it, which uh, ideology they've aligned with. And it's not one man, one vote uh, in defense of our democracy. So the key here then through your lens is it has to be federal sweeping legislation that the entire nation, that every state would have to adhere to. You see that being that the, that's the end game through your lens. I, I, I want think that the most strategic and nonviolent way that we're going to make sure that all Americans are able to participate in our elections. Everything else is violent and messy. What do you mean by violent and messy? Take that further for um, our listeners. I mean, so the idea that we don't have, if, 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 if it becomes a widely held belief by a significant portion of the population um, that we don't have elected officials that are responsive or accountable to the whims or the priorities of their constituents, the people that vote for them, and that they aren't going to go anywhere because they're willing to smash our elections infrastructure, um, 
we will see a repeat of what we saw on January 6th, uh, but it would be bloodier and it would be more widespread. That the folks who made their way to our nation's capital on January 6th, trying to kill Nancy Pelosi and trying to kill the Vice President of the United States and actually killing Capitol Police officers and, and civil servants, um, that they were operating under a lie, under this big lie, under basically a collective Republican white supremacist fever dream. Um, what happens when their greatest fears and their greatest suspicions are actually borne out uh, by our current set of elected officials, again, who are unaccountable and who don't care what the voters want and what their people want. That that is when we see people withdrawing from nonviolent ways of bringing about change and picking up arms. You all see these 400-something measures that have been in a introduced throughout state in state houses throughout the nation, primarily fueled by former President Donald Trump and his supporters and the lie that the presidential election was stolen from Trump. Mm-hmm. Basically, to sum it up what you all just said, what you just said, that's at the yes. core? That at the core, that there are still people who believe the lie. There are still people who are trafficking in the lie. There are still people who are pushing and leveraging the lie so that they can hold on to power. Uh, And it's poisoning our information wells where we get information from. And it will have the, I think, the... The, uh, another effect, which would be an awful effect, of people withdrawing from our elections and withdrawing from our democratic institutions because they no longer have faith uh, in the fact that they work uh, or that they will lead to accountable governance and accountable leadership. Let's go through the lawsuit filed by your organization, New, jo- New Georgia Voter Project, along with Black Voters Matters uh, against, and this is, I want to be clear, this is against Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his capacity, and also the four members of the state election board. So before we get into specifics, I want to make make sure I'm clear that that is who you all cite in your lawsuit, correct? Um, I definitely know that. Yes, the Secretary of State, the State of Georgia, and the State Elections Board, yes. Let's talk about the, the, the new absentee ID requirements. And I know you're not the attorney here, but... The council will have to prove that this is an unfair burden on voters of color. But given what we just talked about, too, with the Supreme Court and in the, the recent rulings, one may argue that this is this is going to end up not in your favor because you have to you have to show proof that this would be an unfair burden on voters of color. Now, we know that the Department of Justice already has a lawsuit, but we're talking about your lawsuit here. You see this? Um, I mean, essentially, Senate Bill 202 is a trash bill. There's nothing redeemable in it. It is a naked attempt to uh, insert the will of our Republican legislators for the will of the people, period. That what we saw in 2020 was um, a historically high level of participation amongst all Georgians, white, black, Latino, Asian American, young, old, rural, urban. Um, And what we saw was a a historic level, unprecedented level of transparency in the, the management of our elections, but also the counting of the votes. And so all of their worst instincts, the desire to have a repeat of 2018, where we saw them steal an election, um, that they weren't able to get that off in the ways that they wanted to. And so as a result of that, they came in with this trash bill, they forced it down people's throats, gave folks about 24 hours to review it and an hour for debate. And then our trash governor signed it under a painting of one of the last working plantations in our state. So 
that's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. That's where we find, that's how our leaders thank us for risking our health <laughs> and our lives uh, in the middle of a pandemic to participate in our democracy, to choose our leaders. And, and so as a response, mm-hmm. we're suing. So, and, and, and hold your point there for a moment, because in the this first lawsuit, um, that was filed under Marilyn Marx's organization. And, and we want to be clear, Judge J. Pu Boulay, his ruling, which didn't really focus on striking any of the new provisions, but more so the timing of the ruling right before elections were taking place. Does that give you any optimism then? Because he did not necessarily rule on the provisions themselves in terms of your, your lawsuit. 100 percent, because what that means. Sorry, 100 percent, because what that means to us is that the substance of the issue has not been answered. Um, That question has not been answered. And so there's another opportunity um, to get it before a judge so that they address the meat of their complaint as opposed to um, kicking it back to another court or dismissing it because of timeliness issues. What is your organization, other than what filing a lawsuit, but what is your organization, your strategy between now, we've got some, obviously 2022 is a huge election year. What is your organization going to be doing between then and now? Um, well, thank you for asking. Um, I, I mean, again, we, while we are very much more, we're so much more than a voter registration organization. I, you know, most people know us for registering almost 600,000 black folks, uh, and Latinos and young people in all 159 of Georgia's counties, um, that we are absolutely not waiting until 2022, that there are almost 1600 municipal elections in Georgia this year in 2021. So we're talking about mayor's races, city council races, school board races, county commissioners, um, special elections all over the state of Georgia. And so I think that 2021 not only provides us with an opportunity to one, um, get very smart about our communications, right? Um, That we are swimming in misinformation and disinformation. And our research shows us that about 80% of Gen Z got this information about elections from social media. So making sure that we are one, combating misinformation and disinformation in the most effective ways, two, establishing ourselves as trusted messengers, Three, using the 2021 municipal elections Mm -hmm. as an opportunity to gather as much voter experience data as we can as a way to strengthen our lawsuit, but also to do better voter education. Hey, here's what you need to know. Here are some of the shenanigans that you need to be prepared for as you go out and try to vote in 2021. And I think for doing what we can to insert ourselves in the gerrymandering process because the state Republicans are playing games with that as well. Let's talk about that for a moment before we uh, finish this conversation. And then I have to ask this, what kind of dog is that? And why is the dog interrupting our conversation? Doing the most. I was like, I had, I had a plan. You know to Rose. put the dog I up did. and say it. This is. A, I had a whole plan. I this is a bipartisan issue. Folks and their dogs doing the interview with me. Uh, we don't. We don't. We can work through it though. Let's talk about the. Uh, we've been following. Um, some of the public hearings as it relates to redistricting. We've been we've been following and recording them, and and you know listening to what constituents have to say about that. Uh, now that we know the preclearance of the, the Voting Rights Act is now, this is the first major redistricting effort under that now that that preclearance is no longer uh, mandated for states like Georgia. What concerns do you have? You kind of 
went into it, but then the dog started barking. I know. Well, listen, my dog has very strong opinions uh, about how these maps are going to be drawn. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you this, that Rose Scott is listening and WABE is listening. Um, it is not clear to me that our state legislature is listening, that our leaders who are responsible for drawing these maps are listening, um, that there have been you know, significant um, submissions of public testimony and people making recommendations for how the process is. And this is one of those areas where there are so few laws on the books in Georgia that that govern how um, redistricting, ooh, English is hard, um, how redistricting should occur, um, that it is essentially left into the hands of uh, people who have power. You would rather uh, be an independent, right you would rather be an independent agency or entity re redrawing the districts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that I mean, I think that uh, taking into account um, communities of interest and constituencies is important, but I would love to see partisan politics taken out of the redistricting process and have, um, you know, more inject more predictability uh, into the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. After January. And that's another reason why we need to pass the For the People Act, because in addition to setting a minimal standard for how states need to conduct elections, it also has provisions for how all states should redraw their maps via an independent redistricting commission. Regardless of what political ideology one may fall under or being in line with, and when we look at the actions of January 6th as we wrap up and say, and we've had conversations on this program about our nation's democracy, whether you want to start with January 6th or just the last year. And, and through your lens, you see our nation's de democracy just fraying here, you know, day by day, month by month. Yeah, absolutely. I, let me say this. One, the New Georgia Project is a nonpartisan organization and fiercely so. Like we defend the nonpartisan nature of our work aggressively. So don't come for me. Number two, when I mention a particular political party, it is for identification purposes only because they say that you cannot fix what you have not faced. And I think that what I'm seeing, particularly in mainstream press, you know, present company excluded, is that people are trying to frame this as the Hatfields versus the McCoys, right? Tupac versus Biggie, um, East Side versus West Side, as if this is a garden variety, like our partisan ideological debate. No, mm -hmm. this is different. This is a fundamental attack on our democracy, that as more and more people, as we move further and further away from the original definition of citizen, where you had to be a white male who owned land, owned mm -hmm. property, um, and as we continue to do the work to expand the definition of who is and isn't a citizen and who has the rights and responsibilities of citizenship, um, that we are, it's not crazy that we are seeing, um, or it's not um, unanticipated that we are seeing a rise in the attack um, on our democracy and an attempt to narrow who okay. can participate, who can vote, and whose votes count. Nse Ufat of the New Georgia Project and its affiliate New Georgia Project Action Fund. It's a conversation we're going to continue to have here on Closer Look. Nse, thank you so much for taking the time as always. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you too. Thank you. Take your dog out. 
That's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other program. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you miss any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.